at some point or another, your health will be the most important thing to you. Eventually, your body will force you to prioritize it. Only 36% of sort of New Year's resolutions make it past the month of January. For many people, it's because they work too much, not having enough time. Too many people sacrifice their health in the pursuit of wealth and then eventually get to that point where, oh, okay, well now I have to use my wealth to pursue the health. The healthier you are, the more efficient and effective and productive and focused you can be. You'll take less sick days, have better focus and cognition. You'll be able to do more because you've got more energy. People can fall into a trap of being overwhelmed with the amount of work they need to do and therefore they're just like well I just need to spend all my time doing that work as opposed to well how can I get more work done in less time and a lot of that comes down to your energy and vitality your ability to focus which is all affected by your health. Welcome to the Restore to Explore podcast from the Foot Collective. We're on a mission to empower humans to restore their natural health and function from the ground up so we can all explore movement and life with freedom and confidence. Okay, well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's obviously a bit of a late Happy New Year. This is our first podcast recording for 2024. Um, we, we haven't ha really sat down since the US for yeah, a podcast. true, you and I, yeah. We're missing one. <laughs> no Nick on this one. Yeah, unfortunately. But uh, we, can, we can make do, and hopefully we'll get one with him in May. Um, when we're heading to the US, but uh, yeah, we've got a lot of powerful episodes um, and exciting guests planned for this year and really looking forward to bringing you listening as much valuable content as possible. And uh, yeah, the new year is often seen as a time of inspiration and sort of new beginnings, which can be really great. Technically, the actual date is relatively arbitrary <laughs> yeah. in terms of, you know, it's just a calendar that we created. But it can be helpful, I think, psychologically to attach, you know, a fresh start to the start of a new year. Um, but that being said, I was looking at some statistics that apparently around only 36% of sort of New Year's resolutions um, make it past the month of January. So even that number surprises me. <laughs> even that amount, yeah. yeah. And I think maybe it's even below 10% for um, lasting the whole year. Wow. Which, which sort of hats yeah. off to those people. <laughs> yeah, good on them. Um, so you know, if you've fallen off the wagon, you're absolutely not alone. I've done it before. I've made resolutions that sort of stick for around for a few months, and then life gets in the way and um, you know, it doesn't make you, a, you know, weak or bad or anything like that. It just, it just makes you human. But there, you know, there are ways that you can increase your chance of, <laughs> of sticking to resolutions. And um, a lot of that is just around creating better habits and, and skills and, and everything. So that, that is what we're going to talk about in today's episode. Obviously, many New Year's resolutions, not all, but many are to do with health. And we think that's a really important thing to focus on. And this podcast is all going to be about why it is so important to invest in your health, what that actually means to invest in your health, and some simple strategies that you can take on board to go about doing that. So why invest in your health? So we, we've chosen the language invest in your health because at some point or another, your health will be the most important thing to you. And that is either because you already understand that it is the most important thing. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably in this camp already. 
you are proactively wanting to prioritize your health because you know it's important you you know you sort of feel better it's important for your not just your longevity how long you'll live but also um, the quality of your life so how how well you're living in that time uh, but if you're not already sort of at that point of prioritizing it now then so eventually your body will force you to prioritize it because when you're not healthy it's it, life is harder yeah it's harder and you end up with pain and disease that's just that's the nature of pain and disease is it's a essentially a, a lack of health um and there's a saying that uh, a confucius saying i believe confucius say a healthy man wants a thousand things a sick man wants only one I really like that saying, it really resonates because, yeah, if you're healthy, you, you know, you want to do this, you want to do that, you want to um, get, <clears throat> you know, acquire something that you like, you know, there's all these things that you can do with your life when you're healthy. When you're sick, you really only have one focus and that's to get healthy again. So, obviously, we're all aware that there is a major health crisis in today's society and a lot of that is environmental in the sense, and we've talked about this before, where humans have, uh, we're kind of like zoo humans is, is a, an expression that Owan Lacour, I think I heard that from him first, where basically we've been domesticated, we're out of our natural habitat, we're in, you know, landscaped areas, we're not eating real food, we're not, um, we have artificial light that stops us from sleeping, there's all these environmental toxins, so we're actually fighting a really uphill battle when it comes to health uh, in our modern environment, if we do, if we just sort of go with the flow, <laughs> yeah. then that will trend us towards sickness, pain, and disease. Whereas, I guess, on the other hand, if you are intentional about investing in your health, then you also, especially in our sort of, um, with our level of privilege, and you know, if you're listening to this podcast on, on a computer or, a, or a an device. iPhone yeah. or, or a phone, then you are technically very privileged. You're not living in poverty, um, most likely. <laughs> and so you actually have an amazing opportunity to get a lot of the things that your body needs and not really have to struggle for them. <laughs> mm. So we... Basically, these days, have to invest time, money, or effort, usually all three, in order to be healthy. But when you do invest those things, it's, it's a pretty surefire way to be healthy because you're, um, you know, you're not likely to get eaten by a saber-toothed tiger or, or to die of like a, a really bad infection. Because we have modern medicine and we've kind of cleared the land of predators, we have a pretty unique opportunity to be amazingly healthy and to perform really well when we're intentional about it. So as much as it costs in terms of time, money, energy, um, effort to be healthy, then that cost is actually very low compared to what it costs to be in to have some kind of chronic disease or chronic pain. Um, on, on that Confucius saying as well, and what what you've just said there, I mean the whole the, the name of the podcast is Restore to Explore, and I think. There's two different hmm. types of people that, that he's talking about there. It's the, the person who is forever the restorer and the person who is living 
a life of exploration or is, is able to be the explorer. And yeah, I guess it, it's one of those things where while, while that can be a mindset thing and, and you may transition from being the restorer into the explorer, you, you don't want to always be feeling like you're having to, to restore some sort of yeah, baseline of health because it does then limit your, your ability to be that explorer. And I guess what, what we're hoping is, is that through the podcast that we've done and, and what we're trying to do, we can build more explorers. Mm. Um, yeah, once you have that foundation of health and vitality, then you're able to go and do a lot more things without worrying about how it's going to affect you know, your pain or how it's going to... Um, without feeling limited, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Um, so, yeah, in, investing in your health now... And, and also acknowledging that you may already be at the stage where your body is forcing you to invest in your health. And Definitely, yeah. That may be why you're listening to this podcast. And that's actually where, that is probably how the majority of people come to a health change these days is through some kind of, um, yeah, prompt from their body that it's like, hey, something's not working. You need to do something about it. Um, and often... For many people, the traditional approaches, which are, tend to be Band-Aids, haven't worked long-term, naturally, because they're a Band-Aid. Uh, and now you're seeking something that you can actually do yourself to uh, create some kind of long-term change. And so that saves you, actually does save you money in the long run. It's a lot less expensive to prevent issues um, and to, to do things yourself than to continually pay other people to do things to you to manage symptoms. Um, so it does save you money and it also does obviously create more quality of life. So more energy, more vitality. You can have more opportunities for fun and connection when you're healthy and thriving. The, the, money, the money thing is an interesting one, I think, as well. Um, particularly, I think, even around the way that our health insurance system is set up. Uh, mm. and, and and just generally the system, I guess you are rewarded for investing money into uh, more reactive measures uh, mm. rather than preventative measures. Uh, I know you know a lot of healthcare is around supporting you when an injury or an issue comes up, as opposed to more of a sick care a sick care model. Yeah, yeah, even. You know, I'm talking specifically about Australia, but uh, the way the government rebates you for doctor's appointments or, uh, you know, just medical interventions, there's not necessarily as much money invested in rebating you for going and playing sport on a, <laughs> on a weekend or going to the gym on a weekend, uh, on a weekday. You know, the, the, the financial model that's built around health means that in our minds, we sort of have this safety net of when we do get sick, we've been putting money away for that as opposed to putting money into not getting sick or, or injured or you know, yeah. unhealthy in the first place. Uh, and it's really, that's a really hard thing, I think, for a lot of people to, to battle with because the initial outlay can seem quite a lot. Um, particularly when it's, it's potentially something that a lot of people haven't done in the past, um, is, is invest in their health now rather than, uh, I guess, yeah, putting that money away or you know, paying your taxes so that when you do get I'm sick... I'm waiting to get sick. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, and it's not to say that 
you, sh you shouldn't necessarily have a, a bit of an emergency fund, whether that's um, with insurance or your own emergency fund of, you know, if an, if an emergency happens, get in a car accident, break your arm or whatever. Um, obviously, it depends where you're listening to this. In Australia, we've got free healthcare, um, but some people prefer to go through the private system. If that's you, then sure, like have a fund for that and also work on preventative measures because, yeah, even if monetarily you can get through um, you know, some kind of chronic pain and disease, then it's, it's still going to drain you um, energetically and, and, and just strip your quality of life. So, yeah, you really need, do need to do, well, you don't, you don't need to do anything. You're making your, own <laughs> you're making your own decisions, but it's probably the smartest thing to do both um, and not to just sort of, yeah, it's not to kick the can down the road with the sort of false sense of security of oh, I've got my insurance to cover any health expenses that I that I need to have. Yeah. Um, the ca the car is a great analogy for this because people. <coughs> I, I know I'm guilty of it as well. Maybe not looking after my car enough, and then having it go to the mechanic and having to pay a lot of money to get issues fixed up that I'm not confident there are even those issues with that vehicle. Mm. But because I don't understand the vehicle well enough myself, I have to rely on the mechanic's judgment to say this needs to be done or that needs to be done. And because I maybe haven't been as cautious or careful with the vehicle leading up to, to that mechanic visit, uh, you just take it at face value that, that that's what needs to be done and that's what needs to be spent. Whereas, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to then therefore go and study mechanics but having a, a basic understanding of how Car the vehicle works yeah. and what you should be putting into the vehicle and how you should be using that vehicle and maintaining it along the way will save you in the long term um, for sure yeah yeah and um you know that that's cars probably more people care about their car a, a lot of people sort of We'll understand that with the cars, but your body is really your only vehicle. You only get one body. You can always get a new car if you really have to, and you can get work done, but it's not as simple with the body. So it's even more important with the body to prevent issues as much as possible. But I think uh, the mindset is that you, the way modern medicine yeah. has developed, people almost feel like they can get a new car. Yeah, it's like, I'll just go in for a service and, yeah. you know, I'll get a new body part, I'll get a new, you know, a new hip or a new knee and you know there are there is the place for that but prevent preventing the need for that is so much cheaper um and so much more enjoyable than actually eventually getting to that point where you have to have all of these services um to even just to sort of feel okay let alone yeah it's not really going to make you thrive necessarily yeah. um so there's there's nuance to all of this of course but speaking in generalities um is, is the only way we can do it <laughs> to apply to as many people as possible. And, you know, there are, there are some fairly common barriers or stories that we tell ourselves that can get in the way of investing in our health. <clears throat> We've got a few listed here and, and everyone, everyone is unique, but one of the biggest ones is um, time. Like not having enough time, probably part of the, uh, you know, many people, for many people, it's because they work too much or they feel they've got too much going on with work, um, not enough time to fit something in, basically. They're too, you know, whether they're 
super career driven, they're an entrepreneur, something like that. Um, they've got a small business, so they've, they've got to be working in it all the time, or they've got to, they work for a company and their boss is sort of, you know, a bit of a hard grinding ass and, yeah. and grinding them down. And so they're too busy in the hustle trying to create wealth, which wealth and, and like sort of monetary health is, is a thing. Um, but there's a, I don't know if this is really a saying or just something I've heard before. Um, too many people sacrifice their health in the pursuit of wealth and then eventually get to that point where, oh, okay, well now I have to use my wealth to pursue the health. Yeah. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's much better to find a balance along the way where you're able to invest in your health and make some money. Maybe you make a little bit less money, but you <laughs> have more health along the way. Um, but really, in pretty much in any endeavor, especially when it comes to careers, um, the healthier you are, the more efficient and effective and productive and focused um, you can be. You'll take less sick days. You'll literally have better focus and cognition if you're healthier. Um, you'll just you'll be able to do more because you've got more energy. And, and you won't have to work as hard. And you won't have to work as hard, yeah. So there is, I think people can fall into a trap of sort of being overwhelmed with the amount of work they need to do and therefore they're just like, well, I just need to spend all my time doing that work as opposed to, well, how can I get more work done in less time? And a lot of that comes down to your energy and vitality, your ability to focus, um, which is all affected by your health. So it, I experienced it myself. You almost set these imaginary uh, deadlines where it's like, well, if I work this hard for this period of time and I get to this point, then there won't be as much work and then I can invest that time that I create in my health but you'll I often find that when I go through a period like that and I push myself I will then get sick because I have overworked myself and and then you sort of, lose a week of productivity yeah, and, yeah yeah and getting back to that baseline you, you, the time you've created is just getting you back to the baseline and and you're not actually improving on your health and mm. I'm sure a lot of people are guilty of that so it's 100% yeah and and for me uh, this is it's such a trap that I have fallen into many times even though I kind of know better um, is the you know you look at your to-do list and you're like wow that's a lot of things to do like maybe I don't have time to train today maybe I don't have time to work out um, and inevitably as soon as you as well for me I'll speak for, for me as soon as I skip a workout to try and fit more work in that work becomes way less efficient and I'm sort of you know a bit distracted I'm scrolling yada yada I, I actually almost had this moment yesterday where I was like wow that's a, that's a lot of stuff I need to do maybe I won't maybe I'll just sort of you know yeah maybe I'll skip it and then I'm like, no, no, I know, I'm going to do this workout. I worked out for an hour, fully focused, played the music, and then I jumped in, had like the most productive work session um, that I've had in a while, actually, and, and just felt really good about it. So the time thing when it comes to work is, yeah, it's all of these things, actually, all of these barriers are just stories that we tell ourselves that aren't really necessarily true. Mm. <clears throat> um, Obviously, there's going to be outlier cases where maybe there is, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe there is a season of your life that you do just, for whatever reason, have to <clears throat> work really, really long hours. Mm. Um, 
and you just you know you just have to get through that season but if that is the case then you sort of need to be planning for how you're going to get out of that yeah. situation as soon as possible and usually there is a way to get out of that in the moment as well or even even to you know if you're working say the most extreme you're working you know like 12 14 hour days but you have to have a break in there somewhere can you do a 5 minute movement snack in in a break from work you don't necessarily have to carve out an hour of your time to go to the gym or to exercise, but what can you sneak into your day along the way? And even while you're working. I mean, it's something we've talked about <laughs> yeah. a heap, but the way you sit, the way you stand, the environment that you've built for how you're doing that work, and with a lot of people working from home more often now, you, that the power is in your hands to create that environment for yourself. And if you aren't working from home, it's a discussion that I think most bosses would be open to if it meant that you could explain to them that it will improve my productivity and it's going to allow me to, to be more efficient. Uh, Which there's research behind that now too, like when it comes to standing stations and more activity throughout the day, it's, it's, you can prove it to your boss that it's good for productivity, good for efficiency. Yeah, I don't think you're going to struggle. You sometimes just have to be a bit creative with how you go about it and what, what you what you do but <clears throat> a lot of people will just um, tell themselves that story and then it gives them an excuse essentially not to not to uh, invest that that time or not to spend that um, energy figuring out how to um, work around their constraints uh, another barrier to do with time that you often hear is kids um, I became a father last year. She's uh, Oliver's one year old now, um, and I can definitely resonate with having less time. Like there is, and that's only with one kid who's a one year old. So it's not even you know taking him to sports, taking him to school, all of this. Um, but you know, you just want to end up. You just spend more time with them, and that's actually a really healthy thing to do. Is spend time. Um, being present with them, loving them, caring for them, that's great for your health. So it's not, it's not really, um, you're not really sacrificing there as such, but you definitely have a bit less time to do other things that you maybe uh, want to pursue for your health. Um, but I think a lot of people get caught in the trap of, you know, I've got too many things to do, I've got work, and now I've got the kids to, um, to deal with. And they just sort of, their cup just gets emptier and emptier. They get burnt out, they're stressed. And it's, again, it's a story that is, it's quite an excusable story. Like when you hear that from someone, I'm just so, got so much going on, got three kids, etc. It's like, yeah, that's fair enough. But it's not a helpful story because one, you, you want to lead by, you want your kids to be healthy. Everyone wants their kids to be healthy. You need to lead by example if, you're, if your kids are going to be healthy. Um, and you can only pour from a full cup. So you can only give your kids the most, you know, your best energy, your presence and love when your cup is as full as possible. And I think that's a story that a lot of people will resonate with and understand is that most parents understand that spending quality time with your children is really, really important and, and should be a top priority. So it's switching that narrative around and saying, well, if the quality time I'm going to be wanting to spend with my kids, like how do I make that quality time 
healthy time as mm. well. Um, time <coughs> that's beneficial for for our movement health. Yeah, um, or, yeah, or health, yeah, healthier. It's like any any quality time with kids, I would say, is healthy. But yeah, how can you sort of stack the? It's like, well, I want to spend quality time. Okay, do we watch a movie together as a family, or do we go out to the park and play? You know, it's like two different options. One is going to be getting you all moving, and one isn't. Yeah. And it's like there's going to be times for both, but you you can start stacking. Okay, well, I want to move. Um, so how can I move with my kids? I don't necessarily have to go to the gym. I could just go down to the park and sort of walk around, run around, play on the playground with them, etc. So um, yeah, there's ways that you can stack what you're doing and sort of um, you don't necessarily have to have, okay, time for kids, time for exercise. You could put them together. Yeah. Speaking from the perspective of only a fur father, uh, <laughs> but you know, having a, a Kelpie or a, or a dog, he needs to be walked twice a day. And you know, while that may cut into my time to, to be able to move or exercise, again, it's just stacking and, and being able to go, well, I, a, lot of the, a lot of the time, that's what gets me out of bed at 5 a.m. and gets me on my walk is knowing that he's ready to go and he's ready to play and I'm able to, to go and play with him. Um, and then just adding in supplemental movements while we're throwing the frisbee, um, chuck a few squats in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> all of the, all of these things, just simple stretches and, and stuff like that. That you know, I may not be doing an exercise. I may not be at the gym, but uh, you're able to, to stack. And um, whether it's a child or a pet, um, we all understand that they need to be moving. So yeah. we should be moving with them. And it, yeah, it's it's actually seen as cruel rightly so to yeah. not take a dog for a walk every day um but people won't necessarily apply that to themselves so actually there is research as well that having a dog is one of the most health giving things that you can have is because it promotes you to get out walking which is one of the most accessible um it's free uh it's very low risk of injury so walking is a really great exercise and just the prompt of a dog going huh Okay, it's time for our time for our walk yeah. now. And you're like, okay, yeah, and then yeah. we'll go out for a walk. I can't go. just leave you there, sort of. Yeah, you know. Yeah, hanging. Yeah. So yeah, and that's that's one of one of the things that um, you know, me, my family, me and my family, my <coughs> small family, Ella, Olive, and I will um, have our dinner together at the table. Uh, we used to go on the floor, but um, that just wasn't working out with Olive. That's a that's a different story. <laughs> but um, so we now sit at the table. And then straight away we go out for a walk with our dog Rosie. Um, you know, Olive gets to ride her little trike. She does a little walk now. She's starting to walk around. Um, we say hey to neighbors. We throw a ball for Rosie. Um, and we get to chat along the way. Whereas, you know, thinking back to um, maybe a year ago, or maybe, yeah, before Olive, often uh, Ella and I would just sort of watch, um, watch some TV after dinner. Uh, like a TV show on Netflix, and even if it was like a documentary or learning something, whatever, um, you know, we found the quality time of just going for a walk together is a lot more fulfilling. Um, and then we read in bed together afterwards, and it's sort of, you know, that it's just you can make some pretty simple changes, you still get the outcome of quality time together, and it's a little bit more health promoting. And I think, uh, you know. Again, speaking from the perspective of a, of a pet owner, not a parent, but 
with with Harvey, I, I experienced this like inherent desire to want to move and to want to play. Um, whether that's because that's how he's been raised and he's had that consistency since he was a pup, or whether it's you know just deep in his DNA. Uh, children, I guess, are the same as you know. If Olive's been moving every day from birth, uh, every morning she's had the consistency. Not that your daughter becomes your dog, but they'll be waiting at the door, ready to yeah. Like, what are we playing? Get out. What, are we, yeah. what are we doing next? Um, but if you've built this consistency of quality time from a young age of sitting in front of a screen, and that's how you share the time together, then that outlet they're going to turn to you for the screen not to go for the walk yeah and you lose the uh the reliability i guess of having uh, that prompt throughout your life to say hey let's get out you know on the days that you don't feel like it and vice versa mm. on the days that they don't feel like m- moving you're like, like hey, come on we're going we're going yeah because you'll never really regret going out for a walk or going to the park and playing like no. <laughs> let's face it yeah <laughs> um so you know, yeah, there will be times when you don't feel like it. And there's there's been times when, you know, we've had a really bad night of sleep or something and it's just, oh, like a bit of a grind. But then as soon as you go out and do something, it doesn't have to be super intense or, or anything, but you just you just feel better and then you've got a bit more energy to do the next thing and, and so on. So these all these habits sort of contribute to each other. Um, and you keep... Pouring into each other's cups. Yeah. As one gets empty, the other is there to fill it up. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not just kids, but family and friends, pets, whatever you can surround yourself with, really, to to help you maintain those habits. Yeah. So another sort of going beyond time as a barrier. Another thing that is um, a barrier, or often seen as a barrier, is this sort of either uncertainty about what to do for your health um, because there is so much information out there and a lot of it is conflicting information. And also that would lead to some level of overwhelm. So it's like, well, there's so many different things that I have to, have to you know, do for my health. I'm not even sure what's the right <laughs> advice. Uh, so it's just too much. And um, you know, whether it's conscious or subconscious, you sort of just shut down from it all and do nothing. And yeah, I think that is fairly understandable. And when you, you know, when you think about all of these different things, like I mentioned at the start, the, the, our environment, our modern environment is really set up for pain and disease, basically. Unfortunately. And for overwhelm. And for overwhelm. Um, and so, you know, you have to address your sleep. You have to address your uh, movement, your food. There's all these things that are like, whoa, that's a lot of things. Um, and then when it comes to say something like food, it's like, well, is it, um, carnivore or vegan? Is it paleo or, um, you know, breatharian? (laughs) There's just so many, so many different things. And I think one, one major key there is just to simplify and, and get down to the sort of nuts and bolts and, understand a bit about, well, what, is, what does my body really physiologically need? Whether it's, um, whether it's vegan or carnivore, this is, this is a, a dichotomy that's you know, kind of fresh in the, in the social media um, or like 
relevant at the moment, um, but also one that's kind of helpful. It's like, well, what's the, you know, there's a lot of people that go vegan and feel really good. There's a lot of people that go carnivore that feel really good. Um, I would say both of those are probably people are more likely to feel really good short term and then they end up adding, <laughs> adding in either of the food groups that they've been cutting out. Um, but it's not really the point. The point is that different things work for different people and there's usually an overlap between what it is. So if, if someone feels really good on vegan or feels really good on carnivore, it's probably because they started eating some kind of high quality real food and they probably stopped eating processed food, processed food um, and they just started taking more of an interest in healthy food and cooking their own food, preparing their own food. Um, and that is, I think, a big part of what contributes to them feeling good. Um, and yeah, and then the other aspect is just different things work for different people at different times. So it's trying not to, um, not to get overwhelmed, but also not to get locked into a dogma of this is the only way and this is going to be the best thing for me for the rest of my life and this is going to be, this is what everyone should do. It's just, okay, well, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to, you know, and I, I would suggest not going as extreme as carnivore or vegan necessarily, not sort of feeling like it's all or nothing in that sense, but it's like, okay, I want to start cooking my own food from scratch that I get from the markets. Or even if you just get it from the supermarket, um, just real food that's come out of the ground or come from an animal that you prepare yourself is going to be way better than any process, any processed food that you're going to get from, um, you know, from the supermarket or from uh, fast food or Uber Eats or whatever. And from a movement perspective, I think, you know, people fall into that trap as well of, of doing nothing and then wanting to do everything, mm. uh, you know, and there's a lot of different types of gyms out there that, that offer quite intense training and people can go from, you know, not doing much at all to jumping into this training. And it works for some, don't get me wrong. Like it, it can be great and people can get addicted to that, that style of movement. But yeah, I think, uh, I think we can risk jumping off the deep end when we haven't learnt to swim very well. Um, yeah. and, and it opens up, opens you up to injuries or, or burnout or whatever. And then you, if you feel that, okay, well, it's either I go to the gym every day and do these intense workouts or I do nothing, then, you know, yeah, you might be one of the small percentage that do really great with everyday intense, you know, high intensity workouts, but probably more, more than likely you'll end up um, you'll end up stopping that and for whatever reason. And then if you go back to doing nothing, then it's, yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't helped. So either building up to that or just seeing like, hey, well, if I'm doing nothing at the moment, a 10 or 15 minute walk is like huge improvement. And there's, there's you know, there's actually research that shows um, just how much a, a 20, I think, of, I think the research, I can't remember exactly, but the tw like a 20 minute walk four times a week had all of these amazing benefits on your blood markers, on your cognitive function, you know, mental health. Um, so it's, you know, it's just seeing that, okay, I'm going to make a small, ch probably usually for most people, small changes are the best. It might be small changes in a few different areas. Um, and then just track, track those changes, journal, reflect on what you've changed and, and how that's affecting you over time. Um, and then adjust, feel, 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 um, yeah, 
I wouldn't say necessarily adjust by giving up. <laughs> That's not really adjusting, but it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm feeling better in this regard, but this isn't really working for me, so I'm going to try a different change here. And then, but I, but I would say give changes enough time to really take effect before adjusting too much. And I'd argue even that simple act of journaling is probably one of the most important investments in your health that you can make from a time perspective. Even if you don't change anything that you're doing, but start to take a more critical view and uh, you know, a deeper insight into what signals your body is trying to get, give you and track those, you're going to identify the prompts for what you, your body needs far quicker and, and, mm. and be able to identify uh, the improvements that you're making. Because I think the issue is from month to month and year to year, if we don't do that, we don't, it all becomes quite, quite linear and it's, it's really hard to identify how we felt now as opposed to how we felt a year ago or two years ago or, or even a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, so, so just investing that small amount of time in, to just checking in with your body and, and, and keeping a record of how the body is feeling. Um, I know a lot of people obviously journal about their, their emotions and, and what they're feeling from an emotive perspective, but from a physical perspective, I think it's, it's equally as, if not even more important. Definitely, yeah. Building that skill of self-regulation and actually being able to listen to the signals your body is giving you, knowing what signals to listen to, you know, you can need a bit of, bit of guidance on and how to do that. But yeah, journaling, ju yeah, just literally taking the time to reflect will give you a really good platform um, to adjust from. And uh, yeah, that, that's something that is worth talking about as well is that I think a lot of people when they're making a health change, it can seem a little bit vague of like, okay, well, I'm reducing the risk of a heart attack in the future. Some, you know, something that may not even happen anyway. So it's like, well, it's, it seems maybe like, oh, I'm just doing this to prevent something Some down the line. injury or illness. Yeah, yeah but it's actually, you'll, the, you'll know that you're on the right track because you will actually feel better. You'll have the more energy, you'll be happier, you'll be you know, better able to connect with other people, you'll be more articulate, you'll have better cognitive function. So there's all these things that will show up um, even, you know, before you take, even like blood tests or anything like that, you'll feel it before that. And that's what actually makes it worthwhile. The prevention is kind of, that's great as well, but it's almost secondary to you just having more, a, a greater quality of life. And those are the things that you can really tune into and, and um, reflect on. Definitely. We wanted to take a quick break from the episode to let you know about our ultimate free foot health resource. If you're listening, you've probably already started the journey towards improving your foot and movement health, but if you're still wearing conventional shoes most of the time, that's anything cushioned, heeled, narrow or rigid, it's kind of like taking one step forward and two steps back. Knowing what shoe is right for you though can be super confusing. That's why we made the Guide to Foot Freedom. We've taken everything our team of foot health experts have learned over the years and synthesized it into one handy manual packed with all you need to know about unleashing the natural power of your foundation. You'll learn how to understand your feet, the truth about modern footwear, 
the five F's for finding natural footwear, plus a step-by-step -step guide with training videos to help you assess your foot function and improve it so you can safely and seamlessly transition into shoes that will finally give your feet freedom. The best part is, like I said, it's absolutely free. Just head to thefootcollective.com and click learn to find the free ebook, The Guide to Foot Freedom. You'll find the link in the show notes. Now back to the episode. So the, uh, another one is ac sort of accessibility. There goes Harvey now, <laughs> protecting us. <laughs> Thanks, bud. Um, yeah, so I think uh, a lot of people will get caught up by, you know, well, I don't have the right equipment to do this. I don't have access to a gym. Maybe they don't feel they can't afford a gym membership. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have a local community that they can go and move with or play with or whatever. Um, and that can be a bit of a barrier. I think, or maybe that, you know, maybe they don't, likewise, maybe don't have enough time, uh, money for a gym membership or especially a gym that has like a community focus, which is something that we really um, promote. But again, it's, it's just getting creative. So it's like maybe you don't have enough money for gym membership, but you got enough money to buy a kettlebell. And that's, that adds a whole heap of extra options to what you can do workout wise, or you just, you've got your body weight and then all you need is a bit of knowledge around how to use that. There's a heap of, you know, free YouTube resources on that. If, you know, if you're really strapped for cash, then you can find free ways of doing pretty much anything. Like we said, a walk is, is a free thing. Um, and I guess it comes back to that sort of all or nothing mentality that we already talked about where, you know, it's like, oh, I don't don't have this, therefore I can't do anything. It's like, well, what can I do with no equipment? Yeah. Um, or what can I do by myself with, yeah. without someone around? Yeah. Um, um, or, you know, who, who, how can I create community without necessarily having to pay for it? So maybe I can get a walking group going with some friends or, you know, there's meetup groups. Um, countless. Yeah, countless. Countless meetup free groups. community groups. For, yeah. For social run clubs, for For people groups. just like you who want to do that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And the reason they're so popular is because, uh, yeah, people are, people are desperate for it and it's accessible. It makes, it makes movement accessible. Um, yeah. And I think the, the current health issues as a barrier, I guess, is another, I guess, on the, on the same line as accessibility, really. Um, people feel like it's, it's not accessible to them to, to partake in um, exercise or, or training because they have a current condition or yeah uh, like I, I can't I can't go to the gym because my knee hurts or I can't go for a run because my knee hurts or or whatever hurts um, you know or I can't I can't run because I've got asthma um, and it's it's just instead of focusing on what you can't do it's like figure out what you can do because there always is something that you can do Always. Always. Uh, it just, again, it comes down to being a little bit creative and, and taking some time and energy to really figure out what you can do. Do that consistently. Um, you know, if it is a pain, if it is, you know, a specific condition, chronic pain or disease, then you might, you might be, um, you'd, you would be, it would be smart to work with someone to help you figure out what you can do because it definitely can be even more overwhelming when you've got something going on. You're not really sure what you should or shouldn't be doing. But working with someone to help you with that is a great idea. 
but it, again, it's sort of it. If that is your barrier, then that is just a story that you're telling yourself because the best thing you can do, obviously, it's for something. pain and disease, is to work on your health. And that's the underlying theme through all of those barriers. It's changing the story from what can't I do, whether it's with the time constraints of work and kids, the you know the uncertainty and the overwhelm of of not knowing what to do. It's it's just identifying what you can do and to start doing that and and to do to ensure that what you are choosing to do is going to be something you can sustain. Yeah, and and yeah, not having to be perfect like you might have an idea in your mind of like all of the things that would be ideal to do but just being okay with meeting some of that or like you know get just taking a step towards that it doesn't have to all be perfect immediately it's just okay well I can see that if I start going for a walk 15 minutes a day eventually that will help me build towards going for a run you know and and vice and so on and so forth so it's and just from a, from a foot health perspective that may be and when we talk about this all the time it it may be going for that 15 minute walk in the shoes that you've always been wearing and and gradually progressing to more natural footwear mm. and and to barefoot walking um just from a from a foot health perspective but this applies to whatever you're trying to work on really yeah yeah so, and we've, we've kind of been alluding to some of this so far, but we are just going to talk through some strategies that, and, and some things that you can do to invest in your health, a lot of which are sort of no, zero to low cost. Again, all of it's kind of low cost compared to what you're going to pay down the line if you put things off. But um, especially the, these days with the internet, there's so much access to information and um, you know, as long as you're not getting overwhelmed by all that information, if you're just picking something to learn, I mean, YouTube is just endless. Endless. Of course, we've got our YouTube channel, which has a lot of free um, resources on a lot of our favorite exercises, things like that. But yeah, anything you want to learn. So not, I've got a few here listed. So I think learning to cook is one of the most important keystone skills that you can create in your life because it allows you to turn, um, you know, I guess seemingly boring healthy food into really nutritious delicious meals that you you never really I never feel like I'm really missing out on delicious food because I can cook and I, it's just something that mum my parents have always done with me and I, I pursued even more um, once I moved out of home and it's not like I'm a, a chef but it, I have the basic understandings of what spices to use with what and how to incorporate different um, recipes and different cuisines so that I'm not getting bored of the same old thing every time. And it's just amazing what you can do with real food. Uh, and if you don't have the skills, that can feel like, well, that's, that's a lot to do. If you do have the skills, it's quicker, it's easier. Like in, I'm, I'm talking skills in terms of, part of it is just experience, but like even knife skills is something like understanding uh, heat understanding uh, yeah yeah even even how you store your food there's, there's lots of sort of barriers within food we, we don't have to dive super deep into it but you know get those base level of skills and you unlock a, a creative exploration of food rather than cooking feeling like a chore yeah yeah or like your, your version of cooking is you know 
meat and three veg, which I actually really like. <laughs> um, but event eventually I'd get bored of meat and three veg and I want to try something else. But if all you can do is meat and three veg, then it feels like, or like chicken and broccoli is the classic. Um, but it's like, well, you can, you don't necessarily have to just have boring food. You can make the food exciting. So yeah, learning to cook, heaps of YouTube tutorials on that. Um, I think knife skills are huge. It just makes everything so much more efficient because you can chop veggies, you can chop meat, you can you know do everything much more efficiently, which means you have more time to do other things. Plus, cooking is like a um, one. It is movement. It's like light intensity movement, I suppose, but it's still movement, and it's um, you, know, you have to be kind of focused on what you're doing and present with the, that. So in that sense, it's almost like a bit of a meditation. Uh, but yeah, obviously we're big on building movement skills. So picking a, you know, not just necessarily focusing on exercise and working out, but um, building movement skills, whether it's dance, martial arts, um, yoga, uh, animal flow is, is a great one, parkour. Pick something, a skill that kind of, ex or handstands, um, something that excites you that makes you go, oh, I'd love to be able to do that. That would be, just give me so much you know, freedom and joy to be able to express my body like that. Might be hacky sack. <laughs> um, Golf is one that I'm yeah, been getting back into. Um, yeah. yeah. Ping pong, <laughs> one of our favorites. Um, so it's a skill that you can sort of express movement without it necessarily feeling like it has to be exercise. Uh, and that's usually where you can have the most fun. You know, ex exercise can be really satisfying, but it's not necessarily everyone's idea of fun. Um, but if you explore a movement skill, you can sort of get some exercise while also, or get some physical activity and exercise while also really enjoying it. So that, that's like a, another way of stacking and all of that comes down to skills. Like you're, not, you're never gonna exercise your way to better ping pong performance. You just have to learn to play ping pong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a lot of that is just play. Um, and, uh, and sometimes co getting coaching for skills is really important. Like if you're just gonna, if you just tell yourself, oh, I'm gonna learn to handstand, uh, I can almost guarantee you that's not gonna happen unless you get coaching. Uh, I got a lot of coaching for handstands for like a year, I think I was doing weekly coaching. And now it's kind of like riding a bike. I can just kick up into a handstand. I can practice as much as I want. I don't need to continue getting coaching unless I wanna you know, do some really wacky stuff with the handstands. But getting some coaching initially can help you break past that barrier of getting to enjoy the skill without just feeling like it's a grind. Um, obviously, you need some level of baseline of skill in order for something to be fun, I think. Like if you're just playing ping pong, you have no idea what you're doing. It's not going to be that fun. But if, if you build up the skill, it can be a, a really fun expression. Meditation and breath work, same kind of thing. It's, it is a skill takes time, takes some guidance. There's a lot of good apps. There'd be heaps of free meditation things on YouTube as well. Um, really great for sleep, stress management, focus, all of those things. And any other skill you're uh, doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, so that's skills, heaps of other skills that you could probably talk about. Uh, those are some of the keystone ones we think. Tools is another thing that you can invest in. Usually this is gonna be, um, this is gonna cost money. But not necessarily. So a, an example of a tool that we've used for ages is a beam. We sell them. Um, costs money or you can make your own. It's either going to investment of time or money. Depends what you've got more of or what you sort of value more. Um, but 
again, a lot of these tools, even if you are buying them, uh, the cost is very worth the outcome that you get. So for me, a beam or a soulmate, very simple bit of kit, but I could be, I could get amazing amount of foot strength, foot mobility, um, whole body mobility, balance training, going 15 minutes a day, and it's fun. It's like that's really worth whatever I was, whatever I paid for it, basically. And again, that's a that's a mindset thing. We we often get comments on our content online about the price of products, um, and you know, obviously, they cost us money to manufacture. We have a team that we have to pay, um, and to be fair. Uh, the, the, the amount that you charge for a tool is almost nominal because I think it comes down to the person who's purchasing it, how much they're ready to invest in their health. And mm. uh, yeah, it's this, it's this interesting uh, situation where I, I think if you do put, whether it is money or time into something, you are more likely to use it yeah. and more likely to get benefit from it. Um, if you've spent 150 to 200 bucks on a, on a tool and it's sitting in your living room and you're walking past it every day and you're not using it, there's something in the back of your head going, I should really use that thing. Mm. Um, it's no different to a gym membership. Uh, yeah. if, you, if you're paying this gym membership and you're seeing the 20 or $30 coming out of your account every week and you haven't been going, it's like, well, I should really be going. So... Yeah, whether, whether it is just the, the time that you put into building the tool or the money that you invest in buying it, um, don't undervalue that, that tr transaction, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, re realistically, we have to charge the, what we charge in order to have a viable, sustainable business. We just wouldn't be able to do what we do if we gave them away. For, we, I had some comment that was like, if you really wanted to help people with their foot health, you'd make your products accessible to all. And I thought, well, accessible to all, that would be free. So how can we give away products for free and still continue what we do? We can't, but we can give away information for free. And so that's why, because of the people who buy, <laughs> buy from us, because it allows us to continue what we're doing. So, you know, we're very big on you don't need the product necessarily to improve your foot health, improve your balance, etc. You can use a rolled up towel. Um, you could you you can make your own thing. You can um, use a tennis ball can, instead of a mobility yeah, ball. There's, a, there's so much that you can do. But as Max said, you know, if you've bought a soulmate, it's sitting there in your living room. It's a prompt. If you got a if you got a rolled up towel on the ground, it kind of just looks like mess <laughs> and you, you clean it up and then you know you, it sits you, in the cupboard and sits you... in the cupboard until you're like oh that's right I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do my balance exercise whereas if this is sitting in your living room and we get a feed, this kind of feedback a lot it's like oh I see it it's a prompt I get on it I play on I stretch or play on it for five minutes and you know it's it's a way of building consistency as opposed to sort of having to remind yourself um, but it's it's very possible to do that it's just that yeah, often having that investment of time or money will make you a lot more likely to stick to it. And that comes down to just the environment in general that you design, whether it's where you live or where you work, um, or the people you surround yourself with, I suppose. But uh, we talk about it a lot as well, ground cushions and encouraging mm. you to get onto the ground more, the shoes that you wear. Having something to hang from, like rings or a pull-up bar, um, juggling balls, you know, it's just anything that you can see and go, oh yeah, that, I, I'm gonna, I, I remembered that 
I want to move, I want to do something extra in my day, I see the thing, I go and do it. Yeah. yeah. And it's the investment aspect as well. It's like, I've invested in that, I should get down onto it. Yeah. Or, you know, like you've, you you've almost feel here. obliged, which is kind of, you want to create that obligation until it's a habit, yeah. basically. And you've got a note here for like good knives and pans. Yeah. Uh, it's a really good point. Like, if you've got a good set of knives, you really want to use them. Yeah. Because it's super satisfying yeah. using a good knife or a good pan. Yeah. Uh, Our knives are good, but they're blunt. And so now it's, there's a little bit of like, oh, I've got to cut these onions with this blunt <laughs> knife. And so now we're like, okay, we have to get them sharpened. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you, yeah if, you take, if you spend the money, the good knife, oh my God, if you have a good sharp knife, that makes a big difference yeah. to your, in, just the enjoyment of cooking. Obviously, you have to be careful with them. But Sharp knives are actually less dangerous than blunt knives because they're more predictable. Blunt knives, you sort of, and then you yeah. um, cut yourself. But um, you still have to be careful with knives always. <laughs> That's not the point of the discussion. But um, yeah, it, the right tool for the job can make a big difference to your ability to do that or your um, desire, you desire to yeah. do it. Yeah, and, yeah, and your experience. Um, another tool that we, I find really helpful is like, you know, warm lights. This is for around sleep. Um, I've got the sort of blue blocking orange glasses that I sometimes wear. Now these days we've got, um, these sort of reading lights that we wrapped orange, uh, um, what do you call that? Orange, like, uh, cellophane, cellophane kind of stuff around it to make it warm just so it's not hitting all that blue light into the eyes which disrupts the circadian rhythm basically um, before we sleep. So just little things like that, that only cost, I think Ella got a couple of reading lights, for like five bucks, got some cellophane and added it. So it, you can invest a very small amount of money compared to the outcome that you get from it. Mm. And we, you know, we sleep, I've been doing this for a long time, but I definitely noticed once I started being aware of blue light in the evening in terms of from screens, TVs, phones, all of that, and started reducing it or eliminating it, I slept way better, yeah. Um, so some, some simple habits that I personally um, find really helpful. A lot of it is, well, all of it is free actually. Um, not hitting the snooze button. That's a, it's huge been, a, one. it's huge, but, and it seems, it seems kind of like, oh, what, you know, what's the problem with a little bit of a snooze? And I've, I've kind of struggled on and off with snoozing. Um, but I always feel way better if I don't snooze. doesn't even really matter how tired I feel at the time. And these days I wake up very early. I wake up at 3.30 a.m. Um, to get stuff done before I need to leave at 5 a.m. Um, long story, but at 3.30 a.m. there can be some pretty, res pretty big resistance, especially yeah. in winter where you're like, oh, like surely I'm not getting out of bed yeah. now. And so I stack the no snooze with a cold shower straight out yeah. of the bed, Straight into the Straight shower. Straight into the shower. And after that, I feel a million bucks. Almost doesn't really matter how tired yeah. I was or felt like I was in bed. As soon as I do that, I'm good. When I, when I feel the most tired is when I snooze for 10 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. And then you get into this sort of... Um, well, Matt it, Walker talks about how like you actually start inertia. another sleep yeah. cycle. And then you're, you're cutting that sleep cycle short. And then you feel, you feel really, really groggy. Yeah. Yeah. So it's... It's always better to not snooze. And there's an element of snoozing that is essentially you're starting your day with a procrastination, yeah. <laughs> which really doesn't set a good tone for the rest of the day. Um, so, you know, that, that's a really good one. Walking is a great thing to do in the morning. 
as early as possible, especially going outside and you get light in your eyes. Huberman talks about this a lot. He's very big on setting the circadian rhythm by getting light in your eyes first thing in the morning. I wake up before the sun, so I just get out into the kitchen and put the very bright kitchen light on and that sort of supplements for a bit. Um, but, you know, getting some... And I do some movement in the kitchen with the light. So, you know, no snooze, cold shower. Your body knows it's time. Light, yeah. movement in the kitchen takes maybe 20 minutes total and I'm feeling, boom, ready to go. So... And all, yeah, like you're saying, all of these are stackable, these habits yeah. in the morning. And, you know, reading is the next one and, and journaling is something we've talked about already as well. But even if you ticked off three or four, you know, three of those things every single morning, those are the my sort of non-negotiables of the no snooze, the cold showers, and then the walking. And I've added in reading again at the start mm. of this year, which has been awesome. But just doing those things, by the, it, by the time it's 6 o'clock, 6.30, I feel like I've already achieved yeah. so much in the day. And so everything after that is just a bonus that you tick yeah. off. Um, but you also, and you also get the emotions of success. And this is, I think this is what BJ Fogg talks about, is mm. habits are not necessarily driven by emotion, uh, not necessarily driven by repetition, but by emotion. So when you have the emotion of success, which comes from, you know, sticking to the, even just the little things that you want to do, um, that sets you up for just a whole, uh, just a whole better day, basically. And so I know when I, when I hit all those things, then for the rest of the day, I'm less likely to scroll Instagram mindlessly. I'm just more present. I'm actually more likely to get more movement in because I've started the day with some movement. Um, I'll sleep better that, that evening, which means I wake up a bit better the next morning. So yeah, they all feed each other, which is, which is really helpful. And, and all of them are free and simple. Um, the cold showers, some people will be listening to this like, oh, no way. Um, to be fair, we live in Queensland, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's currently summer and it feels more like a, a lukewarm shower. Yeah, uh, but yeah. But even, you know, you, you go through winter, it's, it's a lot of it's mental. Um, you know, the, these day, once a week I go to a place, Vicasati in um, Red Hill in Brisbane, and they've got a five degree ice bath and do you dunk, I dunk my head and stay in there for five minutes. So it does take time to build up. You might just want to do, you know, 10 seconds or, you know, 30 seconds or something. Um, just, just give it a go for 30 days. <laughs> you'll, you, you won't die. You won't get hypothermia. You will, no, you'll, you'll be just, fine. There's a guy good. on Instagram I've been following who's been doing a, uh, an ice bath every day. The plan was to do it for a year. I think he's up to like 400 days or something now. Uh -huh. uh, but he lives in a very cold area. And at the moment, I think it's like negative 20 degrees outside. And he has to put a heater in the ice bath so it doesn't, so it doesn't freeze, oh, right, yeah. but keeps it to like negative two degrees. Wow. Uh, or no, it must be two degrees. If it's negative, it would be frozen. So yeah, I think it, yeah. he gets it to like two degrees. Yeah. It's freezing outside and he jumps in for, for two minutes and yeah. has been doing that consistently every day. It just feels um, so good. Yeah. Yeah. In incredibly satisfying. But I actually find I enjoy the cold showers more in winter because it just gives you that. Yeah, it's not giving me the same effect at the moment. No, it's kind of disappointing. It, yeah, in summer it's like, ah, oh, it's kind of nice, but I prefer the winter Give when you're me like, the shock. Oh, that's, yeah. that's cold. Yeah. Um, again, yeah, not cold compared to, say, Canada or Europe no. or whatever, but um, 
uh, yeah, there's there's a whole community of cold showers, cold <laughs> bathing, all this stuff, and um, it seems it can seem a little extreme from the outside. Once you start doing it, you start getting it, and you're like, ah, oh, this, I, yeah. I don't want to go without this. My partner was in that camp and would look at me getting out of bed at 5 a.m. every morning and waddling to the shower and doing my G-up dance uh, <laughs> before I jumped in the shower and thought I was crazy. Uh, we both, well, I, I don't know if you still do. I, I, I've stopped it now because I don't need it, but I used to play a song yeah. to, to get us in and sort of jump into the shower on the drop of the song. Um, Brain Freeze by Northeast Party House. If anyone knows <laughs> Northeast Party House, it's my go-to. Uh, but yeah, once, once she tried it herself... It, it, it does just get you so fired for the day and yeah. it really switches you on. Um, but it's just, like anything, consistency yeah. is how you get the most benefit from it. Yeah, yeah. The, I found that really, especially when I was doing it in winter, when I first started, I was like, just need something to get me in there. So like having, having the song plays and at a certain point of the song, I would get in and I like, tr- it was like Pavlov's dog kind of thing, like train my brain to just fire up as soon as I'm in. And then... Um, yeah, and then since I've been waking up early, our bathroom's right next to our bedroom, so I just had, <laughs> had to stop using any kind of music. And But now I find I can just stand there, boom, straight in, and it's almost better. I kind of like it that way, um, especially because I'm used to it now. But at first, if you, whatever you need to do to G yourself up, some people like to just start with a hot shower and then finish on a cold shower, and that's that's a good good way to start. Or maybe, yeah, yeah, don't go cold and then hot. Go hot and then cold, finish off for... 10, 20, 30 seconds, eventually you will, you will be able to do um, just straight, straight cold. In. Anyway, that was a long, long uh, <laughs> spiel about cold showers, but I actually think that's probably one of the most um, powerful things you can do in terms of starting your day. Yeah. And it starts the day with something hard, or you know, especially in winter, it's fairly hard, but you feel really good afterwards. Uh, I guess even on that point, is starting your day as early as you feasibly can, um, is I think another important aspect. Obviously, everyone works at different times, and um, mm. but but if you are on a schedule where you are working during the days, trying to ensure that that you're getting up with the sunrise at least, so that yeah, so that you're getting the the maximum benefit out of your day. I, I mean, I, I know some people are night hours, some people like it, you know, like early mornings, but um, maybe this is just a personal preference thing, but. I'm sure there is there is research to support the the alignment with with the sun. With the sun, yeah, yeah. I, the, it gets a little confusing the whole night owl, you know, that kind of thing. I think people who think they're night owls would probably adjust well given time to a more sort of yeah more aligned with the sun. Uh, actually, I saw some quote the other day that was like, take take a group of night owls take them out camping where all they've got is firelight and let's see how much of a night owl they are. It's yeah. like, yeah, come eight o'clock, you're pretty much ready, ready to, to go tap to bed. Out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, because, you know, the reason I think a lot of people are night owls is because they've got screens and they're like, oh, I like working into the night. If that's you and that works for you, you know, it's up to you what you want to do. But uh, generally people will sort of find that they... Um, 
you can get, I find, especially for me, you can get a lot more done when you just have a bit of time in the morning. You wake up a bit earlier, you have, you do the things that you want to do, starts the day off right, and then everything else is a lot easier afterwards. Um, might only be half an hour earlier than you usually wake up, and maybe you go to bed half an hour earlier, but find, find what works for you. And then the last... Um, how? Yeah, how, I suppose, or strategy is, is building community into it. This is probably the m most important thing if you were going to, um, you know, <laughs> prioritize them. But we are social creatures. We thrive on connection. There's so much good research that show the, both the benefits of social connection and also the detriments of not having enough social connection. Um, so, you know, we've kind of alluded to some of this already where, you know, it's finding a gym or a studio or a meetup group or a friend or family that can um, do stuff with you, whether, whether it is movement or meditation or um, even just knowing someone else is doing cold showers. It's like, oh, you want to do cold showers for 30 days? You don't have to do them together <laughs> necessarily, but... Uh, you know, it's like, okay, I know he's getting up to do a cold shower. I'm going to get up, do a cold shower. Um, so there's that. There's, um, you know, even just prioritizing time for, for family and connection doesn't necessarily have to be stacked with movement or anything. You know, one thing that we do or have done is sort of like family dinners, whether it's a regular weekly family dinner thing, um, Maybe, you know, joining like a book club where you're reading a book and, and sharing about your experience with that book with a, a community. There could, there's so many different things that you could do. Game nights, anything that just gets you regularly connecting with humans in person. I think that's, um, I think that's pretty important. Obviously, there is a role for digital communities. We have a digital community where you can learn from each other. And, and if that's all you've got access to, that's good. But I think... You should probably use digital communities to help facilitate more in-person time, um, which is something that we're, we're pretty focused on creating as much as possible um, with our digital community. Um, and then sometimes, you know, having a coach or a therapist or um, a health practitioner, someone like that who can actually, you know, who you can build a, a somewhat of a relationship with, um, who can guide you and keep you accountable and inspire you. That, I think, counts as community to some degree. Even better if, um, you know, that, that person has, uh, you know, a thriving community of people who they interact with regularly in person. Um, but just, yeah, not feeling like you have to do all this alone is, is, is the key thing. It's like, Sometimes you do need help. Sometimes you need inspiration. Sometimes you need a partner or a friend to do it with. And, um, you know, that's, that's not only going to improve your ability to make the health changes, but it is healthy within, in itself, the social connection. Definitely. Um, that's more fun. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which we're all about. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully that wasn't overwhelming for you. <laughs> Remember, it's all just ideas. You don't have to... Um, do it all at once but most of that is very very low to no cost um, very high uh, reward, reward I guess very low risk as well um, but yeah biggest thing is just pick pick maybe one to three things to, that you really want to prioritize something that your intuition tells you is important for you that you resonate with start making a change 
journal and track it and then adjust as you go. Yeah, I think it's uh, the key with all of this is start small, whether that's the time you're investing, the money you're investing, or the, uh, the actual physical energy you're investing or the, in the activity you're doing. I think if you start small and build from there, it's going to be far more sustainable. You don't have to go and spend thousands of dollars on gym equipment. You don't have to go and spend 20 hours a week if you're spending zero hours a week exercising. Um, yeah, just build up from a base that is accessible and find something, like you said, that you're actually going to enjoy doing so you want to keep doing it. Yeah. Amen. Thanks we'll for leave it there. guys. Yeah, we'll catch you next on the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Restore to Explore podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review wherever you're listening. That's the best way to support us and to help us reach more people. If you're after more free TFC education or training, looking for any of our TFC tools, natural footwear discounts, or you want specialized guidance on your foot health journey from a trusted TFC health professional, head to thefootcollective.com. All of the important links are in the show notes of the episode.